Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Beyond Surviving Radio, the safe space for survivors of childhood sexual abuse to receive support, resources, and share their stories. Beyond Surviving is about freedom, healing, connection, and even laughter and fun. Most importantly, it's about letting go of the pain of abuse and finally moving on. I'm Rachel Grant. For those of you who don't yet know me, I've been a sexual abuse recovery coach since 2007 and am the author of Beyond Surviving, The Final Stage of Recovery from Sexual Abuse. I work with survivors who are sick and tired of feeling broken and unfixable, and I help them let go of the pain of abuse and move on with their lives. You can learn more about me and the Beyond Surviving program at www.rachelgrantcoaching.com. In this week's episode, I explore how the brain becomes wired as a result of life experiences, particularly abuse. And be sure to tune in next time as I'll be sharing with you the techniques for challenging negative patterns of thought and behavior. This is going to be a really interesting show for everyone, no matter where they are in their lives, I know, because one of the things that we uh, described here is that we are wired to automatically assign a meaning or interpretation to each experience we have, and then we have a craving to explain why things have gone the way they have, and this happens without conscious effort on our part, right? That's right. Yeah. And the and then it this leads this eventually will lead to patterns of thought and behavior that take root and influence the way we feel and react. So mm-hmm. this is very very important for us to understand. I know you're going to help us to understand how the brain becomes wired as a result of abuse and learn techniques uh for challenging the negative and challenging the, and learn te- these techniques to challenge the negative patterns of thought and behavior. Mm-hmm. So um 
This is really important in life. I'm so glad we're talking about this tonight on our show because this is going to help people deeply to change some of these uh, thought processes and behavior. Yes, so, um, Excellent. Well, Rachel, um, when you were describing this topic, you said our, our brain is wired because of the abuse. Um, and so is this the same thing as... Um, like a self-fulfilling prophecy, or are we, uh, you know, do people experience certain, you know, attribute meaning and experience certain things kind of like you would for a self-fulfilling prophecy, or is it different? Okay, yeah. Well, so let's explore kind of what it means to be wired. <laughs> That's yeah. a very, you know, term. And then, and then we'll talk about how that relates to this other concept, which is self-fulfilling prophecy, which is a, a pretty kind of buzzword out there. So, you know, the brain is basically composed of neurons and neuronal pathways, and the way that messages get sent is through those neuronal pathways. So uh, anytime a neuronal pathway fires and two fire at the same time, they become connected. So there's this kind of this saying, neurons that fire together wire together. Right. So they become they become very tightly woven. And so whenever we have an experience, you know, we're creating this, like, large network, you know, kind of like a roadmap in our brain. So, you know, the the hot sun makes us think about, you know, that time on the beach because there was this other day when, when those connections were created. So it's kind of this neural highway of information that's being passed around. And so whenever we have a new experience, a brand new experience, a particular neuronal pathway is created. And so take, for example, like eating pumpkin pie for the very first time, you know, at Thanksgiving. Well, the next time you experience pumpkin pie, say when you're walking by a storefront and you smell that pumpkin pie, well, that same neural pathway that holds the, the initial experience is lit up again. So not only is it lit up again, it's now modified. It incorporates your first-time experience plus this new experience. And as that happens, that neuronal pathway is expanded and reinforced because of this reactivation. So now the same thing begins to happen when we're abused or when we have a negative experience. Particular thoughts and emotions become wired, and we re-experience these thoughts or emotions whenever that neuronal pathway is lit up by a present-day experience. Hmm. Does that make sense so far? Oh, definitely. Yeah, that's a great explanation. Very clear, yeah. Right, so then our trouble becomes... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, and at the same time, fortunately, it's happening for very pleasant experiences. That's right. Right? So we, you know, it's it's great that we have that going on at the same time, you know. Yeah, exactly, and that's going to play later when we get into talking about the strategies for challenging the negative. That's going to play a major role, the fact that we can actually use positive um, ideas Mm -hmm. um, in place of the negative. Yeah. So what happens oftentimes is that we, uh, our present-day responses and thoughts and emotions are are kind of nothing but these old neuronal pathways lighting up, yet Mm. without intervention, they become deeper and deeper and stronger. So breaking the resulting pattern of thought and behavior becomes more and more difficult. But um, so you begin to have this idea, like say you say one of your initial ideas that you kind of form as a result of the abuse is something like, you know, people can't be trusted, right? 
And so every time you're engaging with people and there's trust on the line you and you have another negative experience, it reinforces that idea, right? And so now the I can't trust people idea neuronal net pathway becomes even stronger. So the next time you go to try to work with somebody and, and trust, it takes that much more effort to actually do it. And we become prone to actually just looking for the non-trustworthiness, right? And so in some ways, we do start to only see and reinforce the ideas and beliefs that have become uh, kind of integrated and patterns that we're connected to over and over again. So in this way, it does sort of become this circular loop. We just kind of get stuck in a loop because Mm -hmm. we want to trust, but then we have this the neuronal pathway that kind of gets lit up on its own own without a lot of intervention. If there's no intervention, it'll just go. The brain just goes where it's taught to go, right? Mm-hmm. And it likes to stay on the path that it's on. And so you can be there wanting to turn left. Like, I really want to go left today, but the experience happens, and there you are going right again. And so a lot of the work that I do with clients is helping them at that intervention stage, skills and techniques that will help them pause and, and interrupt the brain and the sequence that the brain is in so that they can then go left. And every time mm-hmm. they go left instead of right, you know, they're they're weakening the old neuronal pathway and reinforcing and building a new one in a new direction. Right, right. It really is a um a training. It's a mind mm-hmm. training. Right? I mean it's absolutely it's very yeah, I recently um realized this much more um you know uh clearly clearly that it really is um just like you have to train that muscle mm-hmm. and you, you can't let it go weak again you know what i mean like you you have to especially i mean uh, especially if you're you're very serious you know essentially if you're very serious about changing this in your life you must take control you know because your mind will just keep spewing that out Mm -hmm. unless you you intervene it will do it again and again you have to take charge like it's kind of like your mind to me it's like this it's like a well they call it monkey mind a lot too but to Mm -hmm. me it's like it's 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 like um you know it's like a a baby (laughs) you know or you know or a puppy it just takes off on its own and it's going to go here there and everywhere and you have to you know bring it back bring it back Mm -hmm. you know and uh, yeah, and you are going to direct it. That's right. And the wonderful difference between the one the one distinction between the baby and the and the dog analogy that you just used there, which is is interesting, is that the baby will have the thought and then release it, have a new thought mm. and then release it. Right. Right. But what we do is we have the thought and then we latch on and we go deeper. Right. And then we have another negative thought and then we have another negative thought and then before we knew it, know it, it's it's out in our behavior, it's in our life. You know, we're depressed, we're not working. Mm-hmm. You know, we it takes it takes over. So, but you're very right on point to to think of it as exercise, and uh, it is it is does feel like that. And I know when I first started doing this work, you know, the brain it 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 kind of hurts. You know, your yeah. kind of goes like, what are you doing here? Like, this is not usual. This is not what I want right. to be doing. It's kind of like you know, when you start t- making your your biceps with those weights, they kind of push back. Yeah. And go, Wait a minute, I don't want to do this. This isn't what I like. But after some time. Your biceps come to expect that, okay, we're going to do this work, and that's how it's going to be, and you stay strong. And the same exact thing happens with the mind. That's a great analogy. 
well, how so, can we? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, I was just, well, I was just. Um, it, it occurred to me with because um, we all of us form those beliefs and those you know form those neural pathways uh, from our experiences um, that you know everybody has beliefs that aren't serving them that they need to to uh, to work with in this way, but with uh, with abuse, uh, you know, it's something that traumatic. Is is it more difficult? I mean, it seems like you would. It, that would be something that would be really, especially you know, because that's often repetitive a repetitive experience. Um, mm-hmm. Is that something that um, is is more difficult to shift? More heavy lifting involved. <laughs> yeah, more yeah. Heavy lifting. very heavy yeah. lifting. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's an interesting thing. I I certainly had the impression when I was in my own journey of recovery that this was going to be hard work, and it was going to take a long time, and it was going to be the rest of my life, and I was going to have to always be be dealing with this. And and what I've come to discover is that there are certain um, ideas and beliefs that came out of the abuse for me that are a little bit stronger, right, and so they're the ones that I have to pay closer attention to. I have to do a little bit more work around. But like 90% of the effect was kind of was easy enough to work through and to process. And so I've found some of my relationship clients who have false beliefs about marriage or about dating or about the opposite mm-hmm. sex, like getting them past those false beliefs sometimes has been so much more work in some cases than mm-hmm. the work that I've done with my um, abuse mm-hmm. survivors to help them move past. So it really, some of it's um, mentality, openness, how long a particular idea has been reinforced and been in use, and how kind of core or central it is, I think, to your identity. Um, mm-hmm. the, the closer it gets to uh, being about who you think you are, right, as opposed to just something that you're doing, the harder it is to let go, Um yeah. And so it's it's usually much easier to to eradicate those false beliefs that are re, re, tied to just general behavior and ideas as opposed to like this is something essential about how I identify myself. Does that also have to do, Rachel? Like um, this is some of the things that I question as a coach too, and I see in in certain um, approaches uh, that to me can be something that. Um, ends up working against the, cl- the the person rather than for them, especially when they define themselves as that that particular thing, right? Like a, an abuse survivor or, you know, I think about this with, you know, really traumatic things like people who survived the um, Holocaust or people who consider themselves to be, you know, uh, you know, survive, uh, were addicted to drugs or addicted to alcohol that they they are they were telling themselves that that's what they were mm-hmm. or that's what they mm-hmm. are they are in a survival of this so doesn't it kind of then keep it active within them as a, as a part of their identity I think so uh, that's part of the reason why you know for me when I hit that place where I thought you know I don't really want to just survive my life I'd really like right. to live it uh-huh. I, I gave yeah. up identifying myself as a survivor and was like, well, you know, what does that then, you know, what identity then makes mm-hmm. sense for me or what comes next? And that's where I think, you know, moving people to this idea of beyond survivor, 
uh, right. is what I, I like them to embrace because while the word surviving is in there, the idea is that you're past that. You're no longer this, you no longer have to identify and solely think of yourself in terms of the abuse, right? Mm-hmm. There's so much more to you. There's so much more available and open and possible for you. And you don't have to constantly be living your life around the abuse and talking right. about it and thinking about it and processing it, right? Mm. There is mm-hmm. a time for that, I think, when we dig in really deep and we are that survivor, like we really are in it. I think there is a time when we dig in really deep and we are that addict. We are that person, you know, and we want to think about it and deal with that. But I also think there's a time to let go of that identity and identification and move on to the next role or the next way of being that you want to embrace. That's right, it's more really of a choice good. then. Yeah. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. So how can we rewire the brain in order to break the patterns of thought and behavior that were created as a result of the abuse of the abuse? Okay, well yeah, so what happens is we basically are programmed to do this to interact with the world this way that whenever things are happening, we really want to assign a meaning or an interpretation to each experience that we have. That goes back to that craving that we have to really explain why things have gone the way they have. And it is a, you know, it happens without a conscious effort, but then takes root as the neuronal pathway and then influences how we feel and how we react. And so to begin identifying the patterns of thought, we first have to develop the ability to separate what is actually happening from the interpretation or the emotion that follows. Mm -hmm. The mistake that we make or the error that we're in a lot of times thinking that it's all the same thing, right? It's all the big one big shebang. And so we'll get into some of the more deeper steps as we go along, but that very first step, of identifying the what happened of a situation as just the bare-bone facts. It's stripping Mm -hmm. away emotions, stripping away interpretation, um, you know, and so you want, you know, like like just the facts, ma'am. So Uh (laughs) the the, uh, interpretations are, are basically what we come up with to explain why something happened. So, um so, for example, I was a very cuddly little girl, and when my the abuse started, I was with my grandfather sitting on the porch, snuggling with him and when and then you know he began molesting me and Part of what my brain did to try to make sense of what had just happened was you know if I'm close and cuddly with people, bad things happen, right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the what happened was that he began touching me and then my interpretation or my explanation was, hey, man, stay away from people, don't get too close, you know. And so that, of course, led me to be very suspicious of affection and avoided genuine affection with others. Right. So that's always the first step. It's to go back to any experience that you have and try to I, try to separate out the what happened from your interpretation. And the most beautiful thing about the program and the work that I do is that we actually don't have to go back to the exact moment of abuse. We don't have to go back there because what right. happens with this is that we re, we play this, we replay these things over and over and over again, right? The abuse is just the jumping off point for the idea or the false belief, and then we right. then pick up the baton and continue it. Um, so I can 
you can look at present-day experiences in your life and say, wow, you know, when I sat down, you know, for dinner today and my husband was 10 minutes late and he didn't show up, on, you know, he didn't show up on time and I got, you know, super crazed and upset and, you know, throwing the frying pan or whatever, you know, you can say, all right, what was my, what was going on behind the scenes for me in that? And so, you know, the what happened is the person was late. Maybe one of the interpretations is I'm not important. I'm not valuable. I don't matter, right? And so that belief of I don't matter could very well be tied all the way back to that first experience of abuse, but it, it's not absolutely necessary. The important thing is to identify the false belief, not the um, the instigating problem. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right. So you it, can, can shift. What you want to do is shift the belief. Once you shift the belief, mm-hmm. your behavior then um, will reflect that. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. So. Um, so when you want to now get into that next stage of actually now shifting the belief, you're like, okay, great, I identified this belief, now what do I do with it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the critical first step is just, first of all, uncovering what's been running the show. But then to actually begin the work of rewiring, we go a step further. And that is to challenge the initial interpretation by looking for other possible explanations. So, for example, um, you know, my my uh, grandfather molested me because he was selfish and he, you know, wasn't considering of me and he, you know, whatever. It wasn't because I was being cuddly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you start to look for the alternative interpretations and what, a couple of things begin to happen. First of all, you start to see that there are a ton of different reasons why things happen, mm-hmm. right? So we'll take a, a more lighthearted example because this one kind of happens all, a lot, and and uh, and it's one, but it's one of these moments where people get into their interpretations and and then act a fool. So like <laughs> you're expecting, you know, like you go out on a date and you have a really great time with the person. It's like, yeah, all right, it's awesome. You know, if you come home, you do the happy girl dance, whatever it is. And he <laughs> said, you know, I'm gonna call. I'll call you tomorrow. And so of course you're like, I'm not gonna be that girl by my phone, but I'm also making sure it's not on vibrate. So, you know, it's like I'm waiting, and he never calls. And before you know it, you're in your head, right? Right. Man, you know, men are terrible. I can't trust anyone. See, nobody's ever going to love me. I'm not pretty. Whatever it is, right, you're there. And then, you know, two days later, you get a phone call from the guy, and he says, man, you know, I'm so sorry. I really want to apologize for being out of touch. I my, My grandfather died, and I've been dealing with things, and, you know, I'm so sorry. Or it could be something more mundane. I lost my phone. I dropped it in the toilet, right? Whatever. But, <laughs> yeah, but right. the, guy, the guy calls, and you're like, oh, uh, okay. So this moment of, um, of looking for the alternative interpretations, you can go to the absolute most absurd thing. You could say, like, the guy got abducted by aliens, right, and he's being probed. Right. We don't know what's going on. The point is that until you actually have a conversation with the person, you don't know what right. the reason yeah. is. And, but our propensity is to always go to us. We're be, very uh-huh. egotistic in this way. We always make it about ourselves. We do. But getting yeah. into this habit, right? But getting into this habit of pausing by yeah. challenging the initial false belief, we are actually weakening the neuronal connection rather than reinforcing it. 
So whenever that happens, every time we interrupt the firing of the neuronal pathway, we're weakening that particular road. And eventually, when we try to go down that path, our brain will instead shout, detour ahead, and, you know, we'll be able to go in a new direction. Because the next time you don't get that phone call you're expecting, instead of going down the road of I'm not pretty enough, nobody ever loves me, you have now the memory of reinserting a new thought. Oh, maybe that person is stuck in traffic. Oh, maybe he lost his phone, whatever. But the point is is to interrupt the reinforcing at all costs. Yes, mm-hmm. I recently heard it said by uh, someone, and it made a lot of sense to me, that the unquestioned mind is the uh, reason for all suffering. Because mm-hmm. our we'll, our mind will come up with um, thoughts that are simply not true. And Absolutely. we believe them. We believe them. Mm-hmm. And and usually they are like you were saying, Rachel, you know, that that ego part, we don't think it's ego, we're we're thinking it's like normal <laughs> actually. Mm-hmm. Uh that mm-hmm. we start to go into that um whirlwind of thinking negative thoughts about yourself. Um and it's really actually a very egotistic thing to do, you know. Oh, he mm-hmm. probably doesn't like me, and and I must, you know, I I mustn't like you were saying I mustn't be enough of this or enough of that, or maybe I'm too much of something or other. And we get so narrowly focused in that part of our self that it's very difficult to take a step back and go, wait a second, mm-hmm. is that really true? You know, mm-hmm. and start questioning, questioning your mind, because then. It, you have the opportunity to connect with a part of you that's going to start to answer those questions, you know, in a way that's seeing you from the perspective that you really do want to see yourself. And then your, your um, mind will come up with a more, um, you know, for you uh, response such as, well, maybe something happened and he just couldn't call me for a couple of days. You know, mm-hmm. instead of right. all of those thoughts that come in that are crazy and make you crazy, you know. So it's yes. great what you're doing. It's wonderful. Yeah, you're right. On, you're right on point there. That the the brain it just basically will run away with itself. Your mind, your thinking. You know, you will get carried away, and then out of our thinking flows everything else. Right? right. So from the right. thought becomes the emotion, becomes the behavior. Right. And you know, I'd like to say I haven't been that girl, but I've been that girl who's like got <laughs> in her head, gone crazy, and then got to text in too much. Like, where are you? What are you doing? You know. And then that feels bad, and then that reinforces another story. Right? Like, oh, I'm right. foolish, or I'm not. You know, yeah. whatever yeah. it is. So it becomes this big, crazy cycle that we get into. And so really beginning to identify your – your most of us have, I would say – now I have no scientific research to back this up. But from my experience in working with people, I would say that at most we usually have about five really core false beliefs that we're carrying right. around that kind of are constantly running the show. And they may have come in different shades of gray. They may be a little nuanced here and there. But really at the end of the day, when you get back down to them, it's the same kind of five ideas that you're working with um, quite often. And so one of the ways that you can begin identifying your kind of core false beliefs is paying really close attention in moments of upset. Because that's when right. they really 
show up and rear their ugly head. You know, it's kind of that whatever your initial gut response is to anxiety or disappointment or upset, that's where you're going to be, yeah. So I do want to put in one little word of caution here, if that's okay. Sure. Because I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want people to walk away with the idea that interpretation is a bad thing. Interpretation uh-huh. is a good thing. Like we need interpretation. We need to be able to look at that stranger walking down the street towards us and go danger, and you know walk away. Or, but but what we want to do is begin understanding that by hitting the pause button, we give people a more of an opportunity to kind of prove themselves and have an opportunity. But if they continue over and over and over again to, like, show that your interpretation actually is probably spot on, then you need to be aware of that as well. So, for example, in the instance of the guy not calling, right, guy doesn't call, calls back later, says, I lost my phone. You go, okay, great, you know, glad everything's Mm -hmm. okay, let's go out again. And then two weeks later, we're in the same scenario. And Mm -hmm. he said, I'm going to do this, and he doesn't, it doesn't happen, right? Right. So you think, Okay, you know, maybe I'll give him the benefit of the doubt again, you know, a little more wiggle room. But, man, by the time you get to the fifth or the sixth time of that, you need to stop giving them the benefit of the doubt. And right, say, oh, just right. Like thinking about interpretation or I'm just, you know, thinking about, you know, there is a point where you are not really in interpretation or false belief or story. You are seeing, you know, a duck for a duck, and you need to be <laughs> able to act on that. Right. So, and I actually, yeah, exactly. the, yeah, go ahead. That's really more about your interpretation of him rather than yourself at that point, though. it's yep. I would think when you, you know, start seeing a pattern in another person's behavior, it's like, well, you know, this is this is how this person acts. And right. it's not about if I'm pretty enough or if I'm good enough or whatever. It's, it's, it's more about that other person. And so that's when you can make a decision about, you know, do I deserve to be treated this way? You know, do I still want to hang around with this person or... You know, is it time to to call a halt to this relationship? That's right. Yeah, yeah. And so it's just it's kind of one of these lines that you just want to walk very tread very carefully because people ha- can get stuck in thinking, oh, I just um I just need to let him you know tell me mm-hmm. what happened and if he has a good enough excuse then I just got into you know my stuff and it's really not that big of a deal. And they forget right. that they're also really supposed to be evaluating the behavior and what the person is doing at the same time. Thank you for tuning in and joining us today. Don't forget to visit www.rachelgrantcoaching.com to learn more about sexual abuse recovery coaching and to explore the other resources available on the site. And please be sure to subscribe to this podcast. We have much more to share. Join me next time as I'll be talking about the techniques for challenging negative patterns of thought and behavior. Until then, take good care of you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.